to Totalus Rankium. This week, Constantius. Welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all the emperors from Augustus to Augustus, and this is episode 52, Constantius. Constantius. Now you may have noticed from the background ambiance, yeah, it's a slightly different room. We are in a different room. We've never recorded in this room before. No, it's a laminated floor. Yes. Yeah. We're uh, at my place. Yes. For, for reasons mm. that will become clear if you listen to our other podcast, Whiskey Totalus Rankium. Good plugging, Rob. Yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? But Constantius didn't drink whiskey. No, he didn't. No. So let's move on to him. Okay, so before we start, yep. um, bit of a tetrarchy recap. Yes, yes, please. Because <laughs> it does get confusing, it doesn't does, it? It does, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. So, Diocletian. Yep. Remember him? No. Well, tough. Okay. Diocletian starts off becoming emperor on his own. Yes. He then enrolls the help of his colleague, Maximian. Yep. And they rule together. They do. A duarchy, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Or a tuarchy. Yes, the technical term. Um, and then, ten years later, they multiply again to a tetrarchy. Not in that way. Okay. Um, yes. So then you've got Diocletian, Maximian. But you've also got Constantius, who we're doing today. Yeah. And Galerius. Yes. Right. So you've got the tetrarchy, four of them. Yeah. Names that will come up, and have come up before, however, are the next two to join the Tetrarchy. When Diocletian and Maximian resign, you have Severus and Maximinum Dyer. Maximinum... We'll just call him Max Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sounds like a great name. Yeah. So, Max Dyer. Max Dyer. But then we've got two other people we need to keep an eye on. Okay. Because Constantius has a son and Maximian has a son. Yep. Maxentius and Constantine. Uh Yes. And then there was a ninth name to go in there. Brilliant. Licinius, who briefly popped up on last episode. Okay. Yeah, and we won't see him again today, so don't worry about him too much. But okay. Yes, so we've got nine nine players in this period of history. Wow, okay. And we're on number yeah. three. We're on number three, yes. Okay. Right, so let's go into Constantius, shall we? Born in around 250, we think. Yeah. Yeah. As it most years. Possibly. According to the Historia Augusta, you will be pleased to hear. Oh. Yeah, it's back for a little cameo, because it does mention Constantius a couple of times in other chapters. Um, apparently, he, his father was Eutropius, a nobleman in the area. But this is probably made up. There's also a claim that his family were linked to Claudius II. Oh, really? Remember, Claudius II, we thought, was fairly mediocre, but yeah. was really praised highly. Yes. They loved it, didn't they? Well, this is why, because they think he was related to Constantine the Great. Uh, uh, um, wasn't the Augusta written during Constantine's reign? Well, Constantine's reign. There is the original theory is that it was because yeah. it's addressed to him. Subsequent theories is no, it was written afterwards just as a merry prank. Oh, in a pub. In a pub. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows. But the fact is, Historia Augusta claims that there is a link to Claudius here. Okay. But we don't think that's true. No. There's a good chance, like many of this time, he was just of a, a humble origin. Okay. He was apparently very pale. So much so, people named him Constantius Chlorus, meaning Constantius the Pale. Oh. Yes. We don't know why he was pale. Where was he born? <laughs> was he born in Italy? 
No, no, we're in the Danube region. Of course, so. he was. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> all around there. I was going to play a drinking game for this episode. Like, if you if you mention certain things or I get certain facts right, I was going to have a drink. Oh, one right, of them, okay. I forgot to mention though, but one of them was me born in the Danube region. Oh well, I should drink. I failed. But... You you probably should. Okay. Yeah, so we don't know why he was pale. Maybe maybe he saw a ghost one day. Oh. Maybe he got dropped in chalk. Maybe he's always really scared. Maybe he was scared. He's a nervous guy. Yeah. There have been some theories in the past that he was albino, but that's, again, been fairly discredited. I should just record this bit and just play it on a loop, really. He joined the army and rose through the ranks. Okay. (laughs) Like they all did. Yes. Um, Aurelian gave him the rank of Protectoris Augusti. Oh. Yes. Sorry, missed our word there. Protectoris Augusti Nostri, which I... Protect his nose. Yes. Defended the Roman for his nose. I like that. Yes. I probably butchered that pronunciation. Um, it was the bodyguard you got right there. Mm. It's the bodyguard for the emperor. Partly his nose, yes. That would have come mm. under I... the general remit of the role, I think. Do you think there's one for every like major part of his body? Like <laughs> arm protector, leg protector, crotch protector. Oh. An unenviable job. Do you think that's higher paid or lower? I guess it's like the equivalent of groom of the stool. It's like a job no one really wants, but you get a good pay for it. And you learn a lot. <laughs> you would. <laughs> now, we don't know, but this perhaps is when he first met Diocletian. Okay. Yes. If you remember Diocletian when he usurped, was yeah. leader of the bodyguards. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. That so makes sense. This is the same unit. So, Constantius then went east with Aurelian to fight the Pamarine Empire, and seemed to do quite well there. Going into the murky and debatable world of early Christian sources here, yeah. We can kind of piece together what perhaps happened at the time. This all might be completely wrong and made up, by the way. But well, yeah. That's all we've got, so let's go with it. When in Asia Minor, yeah. serving in Aurelian's guard, the young Constantius got up one early morning yeah. and got dressed. Oh, this is riveting stuff. It is. Tell me more. Well, he put on a silver bracelet. <gasps> oh my goodness. Yes. We don't know where this silver bracelet came from. Maybe it was no. a present. Maybe he stole it from a peasant boy. Possibly. Yes. It was his well, day. Why peasant boy have a silver bracelet? I don't know. Sorry. Maybe he stole it off someone. Oh, probably. I guess. It was his day off. Constantius, okay. not the peasant boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He, serving in the bodyguard had its privileges, so he headed to the nearby town and he entered a tavern. Sitting down, he raised the attention of the maid. Their eyes met. <gasps> and Constantius saw that the maid was wearing an identical silver bracelet. Both in the same shop, then. <laughs> yes. Or they both stole it from this poor peasant boy. Oh. Yeah. Who stole it from a rich, <laughs> rich merchant? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Constantius the next day went back, and he went back the next day, and he got to mm-hmm. got to know got to know well the serving yeah. maid. Her name was Helena, not of Troy. Oh. Yeah. It's almost you could tell I was going to say that. <laughs> The two soon were wed, and she accompanied Constantius to modern-day Serbia, as in they went to the region of where Serbia is today. They yeah. didn't travel to modern-day Serbia. Oh, that'd be... Ooh. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Back to the future styling. Yeah. In 272, she gave birth to a boy, and after debating on the name for a while, decided on Constantine the Great. Oh, that's a... <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's obviously not true. That was not his name. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's like if you had a kid called, no, Tom. Tom the Great. Yeah. Just imagine all the midwives turning around and just staring at you with low things. Like, why? 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 You just know Tom's going to be anything but great. We'll go into um, 
Constantine's actual name in his episode, but all we need to know for now is that all of that might be completely untrue. Apart from Helena giving birth to Constantius's son, we don't know the details. I might not even have been married. Some sources <gasps> say that she was just a concubine. Sin. Yes. That's wedlock. That's fine. It's pre-Christian. That's true. It's all good. Really? Yes. Not for long, though. Yeah. No. Under Probus, back to Constantius here. According to the Historia Augusta, he became a dux. Oh. Yes. Grubby, kind of. Yes. Great at swimming. <laughs> yeah. During the reign of Carus, he became the governor of Dalmatia. One day, a messenger came through to announce that Carus was dead, died in a lightning strike. <laughs> He'll remember it well. Yes. His son Numerian and Carinus now jointly ruled the empire. Constantius carried on ruling the province of Dalmatia until another messenger came through. Numerian this time was dead. <laughs> That's fast. <laughs> yes. Diocletian had murdered the murderer of Numerian, and his troops had declared him emperor. We don't know why Constantius sided with Diocletian, probably because they already knew each other. Yeah. Uh, we're not really sure. Shortly after this, Julianus, who was the governor of nearby Pannonia, revolted against Carinus when Carinus was in Britain. This all ringing bells? Yes. It's speculated here that Diocletian asked Constantius to stoke the fire a bit and uh, cause Julianus to revolt. Hmm. Kind of go on. See what you can do. Yeah. The overall plan, of course, was that Julianus and Carinus would fight it out. Diocletian would then swoop in and claim the victory. Yeah. Yes, but as we've already covered, it didn't quite work out. Carinus turned out to be a little bit more able than anyone yeah. gave him credit for. He swept Julianus aside and headed for the unprepared Diocletian. Oh. And this is probably when Constantius let his true allegiances be known. I'd like to think in a dramatic meeting with Carinus. Lots of pause where he says something with a swerve near the end. Like a, like a twisting thing. So I'm going to kill Diocletian. <gasps> Enemies. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Or just, don't worry, Carinus, I'm your supporter. Big pause. Not. Everyone goes, hey. <laughs> yeah. Woo. And then he walked out. Yeah. <laughs> to cheers. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after Diocletian's victory in 286, Diocletian promotes Maximian to co-emperor. Mm. Shortly after that, with Constantius's period of governor being over, Maximian, or Diocletian, chose Constantius to be Maximian's Praetorian prefect. Yes. Yes. Constantius stayed with Maximian and became closer and closer to the emperor. Yeah. Yes. Now, this is when Maximian was sorting out Gauls. He had all the Frankish and Saxon pirates. Yeah. 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 And he had all the Alamanni coming through. Yeah. Constantius stays with Maximian, but Maximian sends... Carousius up north to sort out the pirates. Yeah. Then word comes through that Carousius is uh, perhaps taking a little bit on the side. Yeah. Perhaps not doing the job he should be doing. Maximian sends that s sharply worded note. Yeah. Give up or I'll kill you. Yes. And then I'll kill you anyway. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Carousius says no and <laughs> runs off to Britain. Yeah. Yeah. So Carousius, bit of background on him because we didn't do it last time. He was uh, from Belgium. Hmm. Or at least. Belgian Gaul. Yeah. So that sort of region. Probably wore a suit. Yeah. Because apparently that's what all people from Belgium do. Mm. Nothing else though. Oh, beer. Maybe oh, yes, beer. Lots of Trappist ales, maybe. What other bordering on xenophobic stereotypes do we know about um, Belgium? Belgian buns. Oh, yes. Belgian buns. Bells. Gum. Gum. Bells and gum. Yeah. So That's where the name came from. Yes. Belgium. Yeah. One day, Belgium. We are so sorry. <laughs> 
Christ, if Rob has any sense, he'll delete the last two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how the rest of the episode goes. Uh, <laughs> now we have to defend every country. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, Carousius becomes a pilot. As in Pontius. <laughs> Not an actual... No, as, mm. as in a ship pilot. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't a captain. Um, the, the pilot, I did check this, the pilot's the person who navigates the uh, the tricky parts. A navigator. Yeah, but not like across the wide open seas navigator using the stars. <laughs> yeah. More, oh dear, there's Rocks. another ship because we're coming into port kind of navigator. So oh. The tight, windy bits that ships yeah. have to do near the end and at the beginning. Okay. The pilot sorts that bit out. What was Pontius' pilot then? He was the pilot of the ship Pontius. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I love history. You learn so much. <laughs> yes, you do. So th- this, his, his piloting abilities um, and his ability in the military led him to being noticed by Maximian. Mm. Yeah. So he was doing, he was doing all right for himself. Mm. His knowledge of the Frankish pirates seemed to be a huge advantage until, of course, his knowledge of the Frankish pirates turned out that he knew them so well he was actually on their side. So, Krausius now has Britain. Maximian orders that he turns himself in. Krausius just laughs in his face from a huge distance. Or a letter with ha 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 Yes, probably a letter. Yeah. He controls three or four legions and the entire fleet. So as covered last week, Maximian then attempts to settle down the Gallic region before he can take on the rogue general. Yeah. Constantius here fought the Alamanni with Maximian Diocletian. Remember this when yeah. Diocletian came back. He then set off on his own to deal with Carousius's Frankish allies over yeah. the Rhine. This is the first recorded instance of him independently fighting, showing that Maximian and Diocletian were growing quite fond of him, or at least trusting. Yeah. Having this was the fact that he divorced his wife at this point. No! Yes, Helena had to go, and he married Maximian's elder daughter, Theodora. Theodora. <laughs> yes. His son, Constantine, mm. in his late teens at this point, appears to have stayed with his mother for now, as okay. far as we can tell. The time was ripe for invading Britain. We don't know how much Constantius was involved in this first invasion. Maybe he was on one of those floating wardrobes. Maybe he stayed behind to hold the Rhine. We're just not sure. Either way, the invasion failed and Diocletian announced that he was on his way. So it's that point where you've been working really hard at something, it fails, and then you just get a memo. Regional managers coming down to the office. Please turn out all your data. Yeah, that kind of thing. Bit of scrutiny. Diocletian and Maximian then head off to Milan and they celebrate all they've achieved in the last decade. Just left out the whole Britain thing. Maximian then was told by Diocletian that two Caesars had to be made. And if Maximian wanted his real son to take the purple, Maxentius, he was disappointed. But there's every chance. At this point he wanted his son-in-law, Ambatorian Prefect, Constantius, to get the position. Mm. So we speculated Maximian was upset about this last week. Well, Constantius is his son-in-law. They are True. very close. So, and, and effective. Yes, and he's effective. So I don't think Maximian probably took this too badly. On March the 1st, 293, Constantius and Galerius were elevated to Caesar. Ooh. Diocletian then suggests that Constantius's son, Constantine the Great, just go and, go and live with him for a bit. Oh yes, I remember. Yeah. For some reasons. Let's not dwell on those reasons too much, because they might sound a bit nasty. 
but I'll look after you, son. Mm. Just don't do anything to annoy me ever. Yeah. yeah. Constantius seems to have been superior to Galerius because his name was always the first on documents, which I've mentioned before. Yeah. But I've since had the thought, maybe they just wrote the names down in alphabetical order. <laughs> Fair point, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I couldn't find anything else to indicate that Constantius was superior to Galerius. We can speculate that Diocletian drew his friend to one side at this point. There's only six years' difference between okay. Constantius and Diocletian. It's not like father and son relationship. Yeah. So Constantius about the same age as Maximian. So he drew Constantius to one side and asked how he would take Britain mm. if, let's just say, Maximian wasn't in charge. Just, just theoretically, what yeah. would you do differently, Constantius? If you just write your plans down, your maps, strategy, yeah. that'd be great. Constantius seemed to have some ideas hmm. that didn't involve floating wardrobes over the channel. No court horses. No. <laughs> so Diocletian went, this is wonderful. For a start, you want to use ships. So he was put in charge of Gaul and Britain, provided he could get them back. Ooh. Which is a little bit like Prince Charles being said, you can now be king of America. <laughs> you just need to go and get it back. Yeah. We, we lost it a while ago. Yeah, off you go. Yeah, I'd love to see that. <laughs> oh, Charles's invasion of the USA. <laughs> oh my goodness. That the plane lands. That the US military there to greet him. You know, it's a friendly occasion. They got the band. They love the everything. royal family more yeah. than we do over there. So but then Charles just comes running out with a suit of armor yeah. on his own. The two, two butlers, two broadswords. Yeah. <laughs> the army's backing away slightly, looking at Trump, who's just looking a bit confused. And yeah. I can I see that very clearly. So this is very similar to what was happening with Constantius at the time. I, yeah. So, so Diocletian, I'm now Caesar, what land are you giving to me? Uh, Britain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't own Britain. Oh, I get you. Oh, I see. So, Constantius starts thinking about the British problem here. The problem was that Grousius had the entire channel and still had the entire fleet. The Rhine fleet could not be used. Because if you remember, Bono had accidentally let it be burnt down seven yes. years earlier. Bloody Bono. Bloody Bono. <laughs> They'd still not rebuilt that fleet, so they had no ships to go over. See, that's the lasting terror he has on the world. <laughs> yes, it is. Carousius also held all the port cities on the northern shore of Gaul, blocking any attempt to raise a new fleet. Yeah. So they just had no ships. It did not help that the general population also seemed to love Carousius, so there was not going to be a popular uprising anytime soon. So, Constantius sets off to Gaul, campaigned against the forces that sided with Carousius, so he just attacked the Gallic side of things. Within a year, he'd secured the province. He'd stopped the Frankish support getting to Britain and taken Carousius's control of the channel. Yeah. We'll go over this in more detail and fight his okay. Maximus, by the way. But he, t he took Gaul. This seems to have had a knock-on effect on the economy of Britain. The merchants in Britain were happily supporting Carousius mm. when they could freely trade yeah, yeah. with the rest of Europe. I basically made it cheaper, didn't it, to do that? It did. It was so useful having those trade links to Europe. And uh, all of a sudden, they were taken. Oh so the economy of Britain just fell apart, leaving many people very bitter and upset. Okay. Yeah. The merchants in London started revolting. Did they? Yeah, they weren't best pleased. They weren't making the money they used to. So they well, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> no. So they started blaming Krausius for this. Support for him started to ebb away. The man in charge of the British treasury, Electus, perhaps sensing weakness here, assassinated Krausius. 
This was music to Constantius's ears. It seemed like the province was about to come back into the empire. As mentioned last week, Constantius then waited two years. Yeah. Perhaps he was building a fleet. Perhaps he was securing the Gallic region. Perhaps, like we speculated last week, he was just waiting for Britain to collapse on its own. Mm. Or perhaps it was a combination of all three. Who knows? But during this time, we do know that he went back and visited Italy, probably to meet with Mass Simeon, just yeah. to give him a report in what was going on. And he did some fighting along the Rhine, so he fought some more Franks. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. After a fun. couple of years, it was time for the second invasion of Britain. Constantius, perhaps learning from mistakes from last time, i.e. don't use wardrobes, yeah, yeah. decided to launch two invasions at the same time. Why invade once when you can raid twice? Yeah. Constantius's Praetorian Prefect set off from the mouth of the Seine. Yeah. Well, Constantius himself led his own fleet from Boulogne. His Praetorian prefect landed near the Isle of Wight, mm-hmm. and Electus rushed off to defeat him, but was killed in the process. This left Constantius free to march into London and take the city. Like okay. I said, we'll go over this invasion in more yeah. detail and fight his Maximus. Do you think when they got to the Isle of Wight, they made some like, coloured sand things? I think that's what the British fleet were doing, and that's why... Little rainbow sandcastles. Yeah, that's why yeah. the Roman fleet could mm. nip around the back of them. So if you're not familiar with the Isle of Wight, it's basically the needles, and near there they've got very, it's their cliff, they've got a lot of beautifully coloured sand, a multi, like, very bright, naturally occurring sand, and met at every colour you can imagine. My sister lived on it. the Isle of Wight for a while. Really? Yeah. Didn't oh. visit her when she did. No. So I've never been. Okay. <laughs> That's my link to the Isle of Wight. No, I went there quite a lot like when I was a kid. Yeah, I like it, it's nice, peaceful. I'm Vincent's about ten though, so... No. If you've been to the Isle of Wight, write to us on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> Send us a postcard from Sandown for Cows. It's a great name for a place. There's a place called Cows? Yeah. Nice. Surprisingly low on bovine, though. <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantius, right. <laughs> Constantius then spent a few months reorganising the province. It was split yeah. in the same lines as the rest of the empire was being split under Diocletian's reforms. Britain was turned into four provinces. Okay. And Hadrian's Wall was restored. It was Yay. falling into disrepair at that point, so okay. he, he just gave it a lick of paint, <coughs> propped up some of the bits that were falling down. A bit of a wash. Yeah. yeah. By 298, he was back in Gaul fighting the Alamanni yet again. By 300, he was fighting the Franks yet again. See, the fighting never really stops. No, it isn't. It's nice, isn't it? This, if you remember, was when Maximian went off to Africa to do a bit of fighting, but then just returned to Italy and relaxed for a while. Yes. Yes. In 303 now, a message arrived. Diocletian had ordered that all churches and Bibles be burnt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Christianity was no longer allowed in the Empire. Now, this was clearly coming from Galerius, and Constantius did not like Galerius. Unfortunately, we don't know why. Ooh. So, perhaps it was something that happened earlier in life. <clears throat> Is it going to say like to a sitcom where you get two people living with each other really hate each other? <laughs> Do you think Constantius and Galerius were students together? Oh, yes. to share a dorm. Brilliant. Yeah. Because I imagine Constantius is the kind of the booky one, the you know sensible, and Galerius just being the one murdering Christians in the corner. So yeah, may, maybe they didn't get on with each other as students. Maybe it was just simple rivalry. Maybe it was Galerius's anti-Christian feelings, and Constantius just realised that that's not very nice. Ordering persecution on a religion's not. No, it's not cricket, is it? It doesn't win your points. It really doesn't. Constantius himself was not anti-Christian. 
No. And again, we don't know whether this was because he was just opposing anything Galerius suggested or for other reasons. So maybe he was supportive of Christianity himself. I quite like the idea, personally, he just went, what, Galerius hates Christians? Well, that case, I love Christians! (laughs) Just because he wanted to do the opposite of Galerius. We don't know, who knows. Like Titus and... um... No, no, um, like Caracalla and Getta. Yes. <laughs> you hear that team? I love that team. <laughs> yes. So Constantius burnt down a co- burnt down a couple of Bibles. Yes, that's what he did. He burnt down a couple of churches yeah. and burnt a couple of Bibles. That was about it, really. Oh. Generally, did nothing to enforce the edict. He'd have been under orders, I guess. You know. Yes. Mm. So he put on a, a small show. He probably went to the nearby bishops and said, which church don't you particularly need? I've got to burn down a couple. You know what it's like. Well, that's like. not being used anymore. Brilliant. Right, I can't do that. And this Bible, that's not a Bible. Well, it looks like one to me, so <laughs> on the fire it goes. That's my grandfather's poetry. <laughs> that's a shame. Mm. Token gesture to the edict was made. News then comes through that Diocletian was dying. At this point, Constantius would also receive news that Galerius and Maximian were meeting in secret. Oh dear. Again, we don't know that it was secret. Yeah. In fact, for all we know, he was actually there as well. It's just not recorded he was there. Yeah. But who knows. Um, Constantius probably would have started feeling a bit insecure at this point, however. It would appear that there was a gentleman's agreement that Maximian's son Maxentius and Constantius's son Constantine would become the next Caesars shortly. Yeah. But things were looking a little bit dicey. Within a year, Constantius realised that he was in trouble. His rival had outmaneuvered him. Diocletian announced that the two new Caesars were in fact both going to be Galerius's men. Oh dear. Maximinus Dyer and Severus. Uh, and there was nothing Constantius could do. So in May 305, Diocletian and Maximian step down. Maximian declares that Constantius is now Augustus. Yeah. And in theory, he is the senior Augustus. Yeah. However, Constantius couldn't help but notice he was now surrounded by Galerius's men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hi. <laughs> That's an awkward tetrarch meeting. <laughs> so, as the leader, why are you frowning? <laughs> Got us this nice circular table, so we're all seen as equal at this meeting. Why are you all sat over there? <laughs> <laughs> you insist I sit in the middle, why? <laughs> Another thing that worried him was that, with Diocletian retiring, Galerius had moved into Diocletian's old place in Nicomedia. Mm. Now, this is where his son Constantine is. Oh. So Galerius is now in charge of Constantine. Oh dear. So Constantius writes to Galerius asking for his son. He wanted his son to gain some experience in the West. Seems reasonable. Galerius realised that he couldn't really say no to this. Saying no would just be declaring war on the other half of the Empire. But at the same time, he also realised it was a very bad idea to let his rival's son out of his clutches. So he just delayed and delayed and delayed. Eventually, though, he could delay no longer, and he allowed Constantine to join his father. Constantius was in the process of drawing up invasion plans of Scotland at the time. Oh, interesting. Yes, when... they never got Scotland, did they? No, they never did. So I didn't work. No, <laughs> he didn't, for reasons you'll see why in a moment. Constantine turns up, 
and they both head off over the English Channel and up to York. However, there's no getting around the fact that Constantius was getting ill at this point. Oh no. He was looking very pale. Oh gosh. Yes. Transparent. Where's <laughs> <Yes>. the point? <laughs> Yes. After fighting the Picts for a while in 305, Constantius and Constantine returned to York. The plan was to go back over the wall uh, over, after winter, yeah. but the illness finally caught up with him. And just like Severus, oh. he died in York. On the 25th of July, he lay in his deathbed. Now, according to some sources, he just died. Yeah. But according to Lactinius, and I quote, Constantius recommended his son to the soldiers delivered the sovereign authority into his hands, and then died, as his wish had long been, in peace and quiet. Aww. So just before he died, he turned to his army and said, I think Constantine should be the emperor. <laughs> and with that mic drop, he died. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so you know what, Galerius, I'm just going to leave this here. <laughs> yeah. See, that's negative in a way, though, because that's going to now cause a big rift. I imagine. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, this might just be made up by Constantine to excuse what he's about to do. Okay. <laughs> but considering how much support Galerius had gathered, it would not surprise me if Constantius just thought, you know what, son, go for it. So, there you go. That's the life of Constantius. Okay. I feel almost sorry for him in a way. He got sort of surrounded, outmaneuvered. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? But he seemed to do some good things. Yes. So let's rate him. Fightius Maximus. Well, let's look at this uh, British campaign, because this, this is the mm. thing that defines him, really. So let's go back to when he's just left Diocletian in Milan, and he said he's yeah. off to go and take Britain. He realised that Boulogne was strategically important. Yeah. So he heads there. It's a heavily fortified port town, and you can actually see Britain across the water from this point. On a clear day you can, yeah. Yes, you can. So he lays siege. He had most of Clausius's supporters west of him yeah and he had all of Carousius's Frankish allies to the east of him and he was sieging this heavily fortified town in the middle Ooh. he could not take the town straight away so the siege just continued Carousius surprised the town enough that they still had ships in the port when it was sieged okay realizing if the harbor remained open the siege wouldn't work he decided on a plan and I quote Gibbon here a stupendous mole raised across the entrance of the harbour intercepted all hopes of relief. Like a giant, massive mole. Yeah. They were extinct massive now, claws. but back then they were huge. So he just put one of those in the harbour mouth. Size of a townhouse. Yes. Yeah. Wow. A mole is <laughs> where you just pour rocks and stuff to make, into water to make a pier. Okay. So he just blocked up the harbour, basically. Because a mole is also another name for like an informant as well. <laughs> yes, like a... yes, it is. Yeah, that's a very confusing phrase. Yeah. So it's, it's big it's rocks in a water pit, so you can walk over it. Yeah. Like a water. Yeah, I'm with you. A pier. Yeah. Yes. We could call it that. An underwater wall. Yeah. Yeah. One of them. But I'd like to think some actual moles were on top of it, guarding it. Oh. I've seen a star nose mole. No. They're horrendous things. Oh, they're the ones where they just look like they've been in an accident. <clears throat> yes. He's been <laughs> sniffing dynamite and it's gone off. Yeah, he had some of those on his mole. Um, yeah, stopping the ships coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So a stalemate was reached. Constantius couldn't take the town, but the defenders could do nothing because they were cut off from the sea. Ooh. Constantius then gave them generous terms for surrender. They would receive no punishment. 
All they had to do was rejoin under Constantius's command. That's nice. That encourages them to come back. Yes, it worked really well. The garrison and the town gave up straight away, leading to all the rest of the port towns along the coast falling like dominoes. As far as we can tell, they didn't need to fight anymore. They all just went, yeah, you know what, let's, let's join up. That's effective. Yeah. Constantius then orders that ships be built. To the east of him, on the mouth of the Rhine, however, the Franks remained supportive of Carousius. Yeah. The land was full of thick marshes and forest, which is one reason why the Romans had never really managed to take this region. Ah, puddle! <laughs> Run away! Oh, yeah, of course. This is the region where all the alligators are, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Swampland. <laughs> yeah. So Constantius realised that his rear would be exposed if he went to Britain without <laughs> taking care of the Franks first. Probably put some trousers on him, shouldn't he? Yeah. So in he went into the forests and the swamps. It was hard fought, but eventually he took down the Franks and forced them to formally retract their allegiance to the new British Empire. As mentioned in the bio section, yeah. the taking of the Gallic region of Carousius's empire led to the economy declining, which in turn led to the assassination of Carousius. Yeah. Electus took over. So remember, he was the treasurer. Yes. So he took over, started issuing coins that stated how great peace was. Isn't it wonderful yeah. having peace? Isn't it great, everyone? Guys, can't we all just get along, please? <laughs> You managed to get all that onto the coin. Massive coin. <laughs> yes. So a couple of years passed, as we've mentioned. Um, but then Constantius was ready. Ooh. Now here's a, a, another theory of the reason for the two-year gap. Maybe Electus was actually successful in starting peace talks. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Um, if the theory that Crassus's assassination was from the civilian branch of government, then it's possible that the rich merchants were prepared to talk to the mainland about terms of restoration of the full empire. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to negotiate their way back in. That makes sense. If it's true, then the talks broke down because it was time to invade. Right, I mentioned the dangers of crossing the channel in the last episode. Pirates, snakes and sea serpents. Well, you seem dismissive in that episode. Well, I say, it's not that, the weather's not that bad in the, in the channel, is it? Well, it's not like weekly tsunamis or anything. <laughs> no, it's not quite that, but I did I did look into it. Okay. Is it actually tricky to cross the channel, I thought? So I looked into it. Don't forget, Romans were not known for their sailing ability. That's true. With. Yeah. They live on the Mediterranean. The Medi- no tides. Yeah, it has next to no tides at all. Yeah. A few centimetres. It <clears throat> doesn't do much. Um, even then, they didn't sail in winter unless they had to even mm. on a tideless sea. Yeah. The channel is far choppier than the Mediterranean. It is tidal, it's prone to bad weather, and it has played its hit part in the history of defence of the island. Yeah, near, near the Bay of Biscay, yeah. just sort of above Spain, it sort of goes into a curvy bit. Yeah. That, that is rough. I've, I've sailed across that, and that, that is known for being very choppy. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll, I will concede on that. You're conceding. Well, I've, I've still got half a page of notes on this. No, sign you <laughs> That four hours of research and nautical information and data you look through and all the charts, it's fine. You don't need them. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, go on. So I, I find it hard to believe the bit between, you know, Dover and Calais is the roughest sea in the world. <laughs> I've been across it countless times on ferries, Rob. Well, it's you must swim across it. <laughs> Historically, you can argue that the channel is a major reason why invasion plans have failed. We're talking Philip of Spain, Napoleon, Hitler, all these people have planned to invade the Isles. And the channel was one of the main reasons that stopped them. But a lot of those was just defensiveness as well. It's not just weather. No, you're right. But it plays a part, I think okay. you would argue. Yeah, yeah, okay. Also, if you look at the 1066 invasion, William the Conqueror, 
ironically enough, it was his difficulty crossing the channel that actually helped him. Because if it wasn't for the bad weather, he would have landed far sooner, and Harold would have been ready for him. So... But Harold yeah. was there, sitting, waiting for William to land, when he heard news that Harold the Viking had landed in the yeah. north. So he had to run up north, defeat him, and then come back down south for William. By that point, everyone was knackered. <coughs> so William was able to win. Yeah. Yes. But it looked touch and go for William for a while. He struggled to get across. Mm. Caesar managed to get across. Did he? Yes. Of course, we've not covered that in this podcast. Yes, Caesar was the first Roman to get to Britain, but it took him two attempts to get across uh, because the first one failed due to bad weather. He hardly managed to land anyone at all and had to go back a couple of years later. I guess maybe... I don't know... (laughs) <laughs> I'm still not believing it very much Okay, the, the, In fact the only group of people In history that don't seem to have struggled To get to the island are the Vikings mm. But they, I mean, were, they were essentially born in boats The Vikings Well the Anglo-Saxons as well They got over quite easily In fact Shakespeare mentions The defensive properties of the English Channel A noted historian yeah Yes noted historian Shakespeare In his play Richard II Which is fact, factually accurate all the way through. (laughs) It says, and I will quote with my best Shakespearean voice, This precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall, or as a moat, defensive to a house, against the envy of less happier lands. Not my words. The words of Bill Shakes. (laughs) Right. Sounds like a character from Oliver. Yes. Bill Shakes. (laughs) So there you go. I hope I've convinced you that crossing the channel back in these times wasn't actually that easy. Possibly. Possibly. You can swim across it. <laughs> Cover yourself in fat, you can <laughs> swim across, it'd be fine. But David Williams in it, for goodness sake. <clears throat> well, maybe David Williams should have been leading the invasion. Maybe he should have been. Maybe he should have been. <laughs> it should be noted, also, for Constantius, this is the first time in history, ever, someone was attempting to invade the British Isles when there was actually a fleet there to defend it. That's true, yeah. Because all those previous ones, all you had to do was get across the water. <laughs> yeah. This time, you've got to get across the water, and there's lots of people with sharp things bobbing around in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's even harder. <laughs> right, so in the spring of 296, everything was ready. Maximian heads up from Milan to hold the region, and Constantius knew that on the sea he was inferior. Mm. Carousius's navy was still up and running and was better than the new ships and recruits that Constantius had put together. Mm. So the plan was this. He was going to dash to the island as quickly as possible, land, and then fight on ground. Yeah. Constantius had no interest in sea battle here whatsoever. Yeah. So he split his forces in two. His Praetorian prefect, Julius Asclepiaditus. <laughs> We're going to call him Julius. Yeah. yeah so his Praetorian prefect... Julius was given the main force, with orders to sail from the mouth of the Seine and as quickly as possible find a safe landing place on the south coast. Constantius himself would take the smaller but more visible force from Boulogne. Now the idea is that this force would be noticed, leaving Julius free to land without a fight. Misdirection. Misdirection, yes. Constantius, being the decoy, chose the shorter route to to Britain, heading directly to Dover. Ooh. Yes, and so how do you know the queues in Dover? Yeah. Hold him up for hours, mm. if not days. 
Yeah. Yes. But he didn't know about that. So he hoped that he'd be at sea long enough to raise the British fleet against him, but not long enough to be caught. Yeah. He was playing a game of cat and mouse there. So Electus, in charge of Britain at this time, meanwhile, had gathered all his troops, including Frankish mercenaries, and possibly stripped Hadrian's, Hadrian's Wall from troops as well. Aww. So he just got everyone he could down south. Electus put the British fleet just off the Isle of Wight, but Constantius's plan worked to start with. The British land forces were all mainly watching Dover. Yeah. Because they could see that that was the most likely landing place. According to the Pangenic, the propaganda speech, yeah. a thick mist descended on the sea just before they invaded. How fortunate. Because Julius's fleet was able to set off, nip round the back of the British fleet, round the Isle of Wight, and land on the south coast. Okay. As soon as Julius landed, what do you think he did? Hid, blended in. <laughs> Put on an England shirt. Yes. <laughs> a can of kind. Yes. <laughs> Actually, you're on the south coast. It's places like Eastbourne. It's full of old people. Brighton. Isn't it? Brighton, yes. Flamboyant clothes. Yes, maybe. Depends where you land, doesn't it? Mm, uh, yeah. No, what he did is he turned back to his ships and he set them all on fire. Um, <laughs> to draw attention? Keep warm, it's cold and grim. <laughs> well, apparently it was a dedication to Mars, but in reality it was probably to stop them, A, falling into the hands of the enemy, mm. and B, stop his troops from having any ideas of retreating. Gonna say there's one guy's tapping him viciously on the shoulder, going, "Sir, sir, sir, how, how are we gonna get back?" Shh, <laughs> Mars. Do you realise we've only disembarked two thirds of the troops, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> what well, food still on there, sir? <laughs> and our weapons. Yeah, <clears throat> bad times. So, the main force are now in Britain, and were able to set off towards London unopposed. Meanwhile, Constantius was struggling. Bad weather meant that he could not land. Bit of fog. Yes, a Just bit keep going of fog. forward. Fog's <laughs> not a physical barrier. <laughs> so, he could see, perhaps the fog had lifted by this point, because he could see that all of Alexis's troops were waiting for him. Yes. Well, that's not the weather, that's just, oh, can't land Yeah, here. yeah. Well, either way, he can't land. However, news then reaches Electus yeah. of the second landing. So Electus leads a large portion of his troops off to face Julius. Perhaps he didn't realise that Julius actually had the larger of the two armies. Whatever the reason, Electus was defeated by Julius and killed after the battle attempting to flee. So Julius has won. This also clears the way for Constantius to land, because he's now got a lot less resistance. So Constantius lands in Britain just as news comes through that Electus is dead. So all the British forces disintegrate. Yeah. They are no longer interested, especially the Frankish troops. Because the Frankish troops are only there to be paid, and they no longer have a paymaster. So True. what can they do? They could go home empty-handed, or... Raid! Where would you raid? Britain. You're in Britain, where do you go? London. London. They all turn to London. Brilliant. And they run to London. Constantius, where's he need to go? London. London. Base of power. Oh dear. He heads off to London as well. But we don't know whether he actually took flight after the Frankish army trying to kill them, or when he was heading to London, he just stumbled across them. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, it's you guys. Yeah. But, either way, he mows them all down. Brilliant. That's good. Yes. Now, meanwhile, in London, all the citizens 
are terrified. They think they're about to be sacked. News comes through mm. that Alexis has been killed and the Franks were coming to sack the city. Well, plus, being in London, you've got such high vantage points. You've got the London Eye, yeah, the Shard. Yeah. You can, you see, can see miles around. Yeah. So oh, they no could way. see the Franks were coming. They were terrified. Mm. So imagine their relief when Constantius comes over the hill. Yeah. What's that coming over the hill? It's Constantius with good news. Yeah. As the song goes, yeah. Um, yeah. Constantius turns up and says, Hi guys, I'm here to peacefully put in some new laws. You guys go about your business. You do what you normally do. Yeah. So, Constantius amazingly was able to style his invasion as liberation. All the people of London loved him. Well, that's quite clever actually, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I'm saving you from these Frankish people, now I'm in charge. So, now that's the story of the invasion of Britain, and the end of the first British Empire. Now, not to be cynical mm-hmm. of Constantius, yeah. that doesn't seem like he did much. It's more Julius that did it. It was Constantius's plan. If he didn't, we can pull it off though. It worked perfectly. Yeah, but he didn't pull it off, Julius pulled it off. I see, I would argue, Constantius came up with the plan. Said there needs to be a decoy, the decoy will probably end up dead, and the main army needs to go and take Britain. He was the decoy, wasn't he? And I'll be the decoy because I'm an all-round good egg. I won't order you to be my decoy. But he wouldn't send himself to die. Oh, well, which which role was the most dangerous, the decoy or the main force? Yeah, we didn't even get to land. So just afterwards, I'm there, oh, yeah, well, you've already won, okay. He landed, and he also took out the, the Frankish army before it sat to London. That's true. So he did do some fighting. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think you're being a bit harsh on him. Though. Maybe. Okay, fair enough. And compare this to Maximian's invasion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So positives. He got back Britain. Yes. And as I've discussed, it's quite hard to invade Britain. That's true. Yeah. So he did that. Um, he also fought the Alamanni, the Franks, all manner of barbarians. He fought about the Gaul. Gaul. Over a decade, he was continuously fighting in the mm. region. And successfully. Ed- yeah, successfully. It seems to have made no blunder. He was involved in that first invasion of Britain, but I think we can blame Maximian for that one. Decade of destruction. Yeah. Uh, negatives, I personally don't think there are any in this fighting. Apart from, perhaps yeah. it's not as grand as some of the previous ones. Let's face it, he is defending the Rhine frontier, mm. and he is taking back one province. I'm not sure if it deserves to be up there with some of our highest. I mean, but... no, he didn't defend the whole empire, but he, he did get back a very, very tricky area. Yes. Okay, would you consider him getting Britain and Gaul back as tricky or as impressive as getting Persia and sacking Tessalon? Oh, in, oh, I don't know. I think it depends on the time. If you look at um, Karras' invasion hmm. of Persia, where essentially they just walked in. True. Because Baram was busy on the other side of Persia fighting his family. Okay, Uh, Persia at its trickiest and Gaul. Oh, I don't know if it's tricky. You do need to cross a sea to get to it. True. You do need to cross a desert to get into Persia. That's true. Yeah. A sea of sand and a sea of water. Yes. (laughs) So, um, I don't know. But I do think it's tricky. I think he deserves credit for what he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it's been far too harsh. I've changed my opinion slightly. Um, I think a good seven for me. Seven. I think I'm more impressed. I'm going to go for eight. You for eight? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, that's a fifteen. Approvium crazy. If he was crazy, I couldn't find any evidence of it. Okay. 
Um, I've got nothing for Bad Crazy at all, to be honest. Oh, yeah. uh, a couple of quotes for Good Sane. Actentious, after writing several paragraphs pouring bile over Diocletian and Maximian, states of Constantius, I pass over Constantius, a prince unlike the others, and worthy to have had the sole government of the empire. Gibbon says, Clemency, temperance, and moderation distinguished the amiable character of Constantius. Instead of imitating their eastern pride and magnificence, Constantius preserved the modesty of a Roman prince. He declared with unaffected sincerity that his most valued treasure was in the hearts of the people, and that whenever the dignity of the throne or the danger of the state required any extraordinary supply, he could depend with confidence on their gratitude and liberty. So, um... A bit boring, really. Yeah. He, he also had no truck with religious persecutions. I'm sorry, if you want to earn points in a program crazy, yeah. you've got to at least... Throw your weight behind a bit of religious persecution. Yeah, mass genocide, yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I don't think you can really score anything. Here. No, zero. No, okay. Successes Ultimus! He had one job, and he undeniably succeeded in doing it. That's true. Yeah. He was told in no uncertain terms, all you need to do is get Britain. And he got Britain. Now, from a historical point of view, so what? What did that do for the rest of the empire? How was that successful for the emperor as a ho- empire as a whole? The everyday bread baker in Rome, how's that helping him? It stabilised the Diocletian's experiment. The Tetrarchy thing? Yes. Okay. Because it was hard to say he'd restored the empire to its former glory when Britain was still there on the side going new. Very true. Yes, okay, very true. Yeah. So he was part of that Diocletian yeah. resurgence of Rome? Yeah, definitely. Okay. When he was in Britain, he reformed the province, and seems to have won the hearts and the minds of the people. And like I said, he managed to turn that invasion into a liberation. That's very clever, isn't it? Now, as much as many people in history have said, oh, we liberated them, look how happy they are, turn around and kick someone until they start smiling. It doesn't actually usually work out that way, but as far as we can tell, it kind of did in this case. Yeah. Now, you could argue he just got really lucky that the Franks decided to turn on London right at the end, but, yeah, he managed that. Out of the four Tetrarchs, he seemed to have been the most liked. Okay, that's nice. Now, it's really hard to say this, we certainly can't back this up with any evidence, but there's no cases of political turmoil, usurpation against him. He generally seems quite mild-mannered. And let's face it, I could imagine Diocletian just being a bit of a stick in the mud. Maximian just... Getting drunk and shouting at people. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I have this image of Constantius as a little puppy. Or a big puppy. Yeah. Big ears, big face. Oh, you can be stroke. Yeah. He sits down and just lounges around. Pat his belly, give him a treat. Fair enough. Innocent and nice. Innocent and nice. Right, his bad. We, there's nothing really bad to say against him. Um, apart from the fact that he's got heavy Christian bias in his favour. He's the father of Constantine the Great, who brings Christianity to the Empire. So... Did he? Well, we're going to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, the sources, many sources, are very biased towards him, yeah. which means that maybe he did do some not good stuff and it's been glossed over in history. Mm. Nothing no. bad, but nothing no. nothing amazing. Yeah, there's one... To, I'm thinking like, on the six, seven again, because... He's part of the Diocletian thing. He's part of that resurgence. You know, Diocletian didn't do it on his own. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention. Oh. I forgot one point here. If you were a Christian, 
then he was, if not on your side, at least not burning down your house and torturing your family. Well, that's nice. That's quite successful for you if you're yeah. a Christian. Members of the Empire. And his decision, as we will see, to not follow the edicts can make an argument has a huge knock-on effect on ramification. But whether it's a successful one is debatable, depending on your opinions. So, hmm. so yeah, an important turning point, I'd say. But mm, is it success as Ultimus? Yeah, I'm thinking around the six mark. Yeah, I'm thinking around the six, which puts him slightly higher than Maximian, if I remember correctly. We only gave him five each, which yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Uh, but certainly not as high as Diocletian. Maxim didn't do much, really. Um, he couldn't get back Britain. Someone else had to do it for him. Yeah. He just plodded around, did a bit of admin, yeah. and didn't want to retire. Yeah. But he was retired, so all of that didn't count towards his, you know, any of his scores, which is a bit of a shame. Because mm. he probably would have lowered them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking six. Okay, that's 12 for successors Ultimus. Image of Faceless. What are you thinking? You've already said Poppy. Oh, for what it looks like. Um, so you have drawn a weird man-poppy hybrid. Yeah. It's quite frankly terrifying. Wagging his tail. Yes. And he's quite happy. Yeah. You know what? Bizarrely. He's got a tail. He's not got a tail. I know we never usually do, and we've said it before, we really do need to get that drawing up on um, Facebook, I think, because you're going to be amazed how accurate that drawing is. Really? He is, isn't it? There he is. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he doesn't look a, like a... Oh, he doesn't look... look like a poppy, but your weird face you've put on the poppy looks weirdly similar yeah. to his first. Oh. <laughs> he looks quite nice, doesn't he? He looks a bit weird. He looks like he's having tack of the mumps. The yeah. Mumps. <laughs> tack of the mumps, even. Yeah, he's got a big, big, long face. Yeah, he's... he's I'm going to say stylized. it's that weird looking. Possibly, yeah. And we do start to see more stylized busts coming up shortly, so maybe this is the start of it. His chin just seems twice as large as it should be. It do, yeah, it does. Because yeah. I did mine by an axe by accident, but I guess then. Yeah. Oh, it's a uh, very short, cropped hair. Almost stubbly beard. If that's a beard, not smallpox. Oh, it's yeah. quite rough, doesn't it? It does look quite rough. Yeah. So, but, but again, no, no, no beard though, which is yes, unusual. No beard. So he's losing points there. Yeah. Um, I can't say it's someone Big I'd numbers. look at. Well, I'd probably look at him in the street just to look at that chin. But um, he might. He I might have Hodor from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, possibly. Um, bit, I'm, only, I'm only going for simple. I'm more. I'm even five. So I think I'm more impressed. Right, so throw our spreadsheet. That's. So, bit of bit of off-air chat there, whilst waiting for the spreadsheet to load, because it's crashed. Mm. Um, yeah, we've had a change of heart, haven't we? Yes. Say we, I. You've had a change of heart, I think I, I felt being too harsh with his fightiest. Fighty. Why? Because he, he, well, he did more than Maximian. He did, and, and we I saw gave... Him lower. Yeah, we gave Maximian eight apiece. He did, he did far more, so I, I'm going to put mine up from seven to eight. So yours. I'm, I'm going to stick with my eight, so that mm. gives him sixteen for fighting okay. Christmas. Okay, right. So then back to the image of page. Yes. Oh no, spreadsheet's still not loaded. I'll edit this bit now. Spreadsheet's finally up and running. That is two point two five. It. I mean, let's face it. We could have worked out what nine divided by four is. Far <laughs> <laughs> It's not that hard. No. But we need the spreadsheet to be filled in. Anyway, and so if you've got technology, you might as well use it. Exactly. Right. 
That's round. Tempo, Tempo completo. completo. Okay, we've got a choice. We need to be consistent with this, though. We do. We need to do what we've done in the past. So I know what you're going to say. Ah, but this has never <laughs> happened before. That's true. The definition of a Caesar has changed. Now, if we go based on Constantius's rule as Augustus, yeah. he only lasted 1.4 years. Huh. If we go on his rule as Caesar and then Augustus, mm. he lasted 13 years. It's a fair difference there. Now, usually a Caesar, oh, you wouldn't even contemplate on. In fact, we've no. even discounted Junior Augustus since yeah. before, just because they clearly didn't do anything and they don't really count. But you can put a strong argument forward that Constantius was one of the four emperors when he was Caesar. The whole idea of the Tetrarchy is you had four emperors. And he did more during his time as Caesar than Maximian did. Whatever we do, though, we have to keep we have to keep that be consistent with it. Well, I'm thinking during the Tetrarchic War period, mm. so up until Constantine taking charge, which will be at the end, we actually count the Caesar part because well, that's what it's named after. Yeah. Four, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree yeah. With that. Are you happy with that? Yeah. So let's go for the four. Let's go for the thirteen years he was in charge then, rather than the one point four, which will bump his score a bit. That is a score of one point six three. Not bad. And that's his total score. It's not great, but it's not awful. 31.88. But there was only one question to ask now. There is. Bear in mind, because yours, though, I don't have the part hoppers and the, the trumpets. So oh. If he gets it, we're a bit buggered. Uh, we'll, we'll make the sounds with our mouths. Okay. Yeah. We'll well, if, you get, well, let's see. if he gets it. If he gets it. Do they have Do a certain je ne sais I think there's a case from getting it. I think there's a case from getting it. I think it's one of the weaker cases that we've seen yeah. out of people who do get it. I think if he does get it, he'll be one of the weakest. But I, I, I'll be honest, part of me wants to give it to him. Well, the pros, he got back a notoriously tricky area for no one else could. Yeah. He kept the Empire stable right until he said his son could be Emperor at the end. <laughs> that was just like a stab, isn't it? But I kind of wants me to give it to him more on his deathbed <laughs> and just like pulls the pin from that grenade and then dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's quite nice. Yeah. And if you look at the original Tetrarchy, Diocletian, Maximian, Galerius and, and Constantius, mm. he's the good guy. Diocletian's the overseeing organiser. He turned around the empire. Maximian's the big roaring drunk who just likes fighting. Is he interesting? Would you mention him to a friend? Would you... Would you pull over a random stranger in the street, after they stop screaming, would you tell them about Constantius? Not first, no, but I think he would be on the list. I asked Tricky, it is. I'm really I, on... I don't think there's enough. Nothing To me, nothing else stands out about him. It's only the fact he looks a little bit puppy-ish. <laughs> and he maintained Britain. <sighs> See, I do want to get it to him. I, I don't. And I'm, not, I'm normally the one aching for it, but I, yeah. I don't, I'm not feeling it this week. You know what we're going to have to do then, don't you? Yes, we are. <laughs> First time since one, when was it? Was it Nero? No, I've it after Nero, I think. Let, let me go and get the coin. So, heads, yes, because yes. he keeps his head. Tails, no, because a lion has tails. Yes. Gray tail. That makes sense. Okay. okay. Is he going to get it? Am I aiming for your note? Oh, just in case you dropped it. You probably won't, but it's quite a small coin. No, it's not. It's the official Totalis Rankin coin. <laughs> That's true. It's massive, yeah. 
Don't diminish its status. <laughs> right, here we go. Heads. Heads. He's got oh, it. He's got it. Just. That's the first time we flipped it and they've actually achieved it. Yeah, I think it is. So, officially, then, Constantius, against my wishes, has a Gene Caesar. Well done, Constantius. <laughs> yeah, right, okay, well done. I mean, it's, it is a bit dicey, isn't it? I can see him being knocked out in the early rounds when we actually get to the knockout stages, but did all right. That's the trouble, he did all right. Compare him <laughs> to pretty much everyone in the crisis area. Yeah, but none of them got it, apart from the ones that did something. Yeah, but, uh, but he did something. I, I'm, I'm willing to give it to him. I am. Well, you have, so... Yeah, so we don't need to argue about it anymore, do we? No, it's there. It's there. Now you know how I felt when Nero got it. He didn't get it. No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know what you felt like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the coin just works in my favour, clearly. It clearly does. (laughs) Yes. I wish I'd never made the damn thing. Okay, right, well, that's this week's episode. Um couple of things, new things to mention. Okay, first of all, some really exciting news. Yeah. We've, we've made a bit of a change. We've introduced something new. We are introducing the Senate. The Senate. Thank you, man from Covert. <laughs> He's come all the way from Coventry. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, the Senate, I, if you listen to the Rex Factor, it's pretty much the same as the Privy Council. Mm. Um, the Senate is a group of people who very generously volunteer to donate some money monthly to the podcast. Now, if you go to our Podbean site, there is a Be My Patron button on the site now where you can, out the kindness of your own heart, donate some money to us. The reason why we're doing this is some things we want to change about the podcast. We want to get some better equipment. We want to generally expand things and make things more exciting. Uh, But we are going to need a little bit of backing to do that. Mm. So if you think that we provide a dollar or five dollars of entertainment per month and you're happy to throw that our way, we would be hugely grateful. Yes. Yes. So, breakdown of things. If you donate one dollar a month, you get to feel really good. Yes, you get a little <laughs> warm feeling inside. Yes, we will thank you on the podcast and uh, we'll be very grateful to you. If you donate $5 to us per month, you will have access to some Totalis Rankium official background images that you can use on your phone, on your desktop. Um, we'll provide a link and we'll just keep putting new images in there and you can have access to them. Yeah, if you donate $10 a month, you'll get a handcrafted Totalis Rankium coin. Yes. And this is first rank you mint we've had built in my back garden. Yes, these are the same coins that you receive if you win our review of the week competition. And then finally, if you are very generous and decide to give us $15 a month, we will send you an official Totalis Rankium mug and you get the coin and you get access to mm. the images and you get that warm fuzzy feeling inside as well which is fantastic and if you don't know a thousand dollars a month you'll get rob come to your house yes and spend the weekend yeah that's... you'll have to pay for flights and yeah but boardage. Um, once i'm there i'm, I'm yours <laughs> so... <laughs> So, I mean, if you do choose to do that, thank you so much. It will really help our podcast because mm. we are planning to carry on with this into another season, which we'll start revealing soon. Um, and, yeah, we just want to make it as good as it can be. Mm. Yeah. If you can't, and understandably, some of you may not be able to contribute financially, then what you could do, which would be 
equally a huge help is to go onto the iTunes review site and leave us a review there because they really help promote the podcast. The way iTunes work it all out, it's they, they use those reviews. And because we've started to get a few in, we have started to see our listenership go up. So we need to keep pushing that. So if you've not left one, it would be amazing if you did. Mm. And we're going to read some out now. Yes, we are. So first review, uh, it's labelled amazing and fun in capital letters with an exclamation mark. That That's amazing and fun. Yeah, five yeah. stars. Uh, from Jess Renee. I'm going to pronounce it Renee. This is how I wish my world history teachers would have gone about teaching us Roman history. This podcast is fun and funny, and we've probably learned more listening to these episodes than I did it in school. If there's any issue I have with this podcast, it's my strange need to write notes whilst listening. I do the same thing. Yes, you do the same yeah. thing. Thanks, yeah. Jess. That was nice. Yeah. Okay, second one by Quintus Septimius Niger. I don't think that's his real name. That is his real name. Is it? Yes. Nigel the Black. My favourite podcast, five stars, making forgettable emperors memorable since 2016. I discovered this podcast by chance over Christmas and have only just caught up. Binge listening to this podcast got me through the flu. It's a miracle cure for boredom. A humorous journey through Roman imperial history using a unique scoring system in no way similar to Rex Factor. That's true. Yeah. Ours are completely different. Great banter, mixed with interesting historical facts, occasionally embroidered with Rob and Jamie's own creations. The wonderful family Jeff I, and Roger, the eternally optimistic messenger. Learn which emperors punched horses, wrestled whales, or impaled flies. How Bono tried to take the empire, and how furious was Furious Vic. If you like the Rex Factor, you'll like this more. Yes. Read the rest of it. Hashtag bring back Germanicus. Hashtag Gallienus for Emperor. Yeah. Oh, Hashtag like bring back Germanicus as yes. the month. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you get to choose out of those two. I like the um, the, the flu guy. Quintus Septimius Niger. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, thank you very much, Quintus Septimius Niger. If you send us your address. You'll get a visit from Rob. <laughs> and he'll be bringing a coin with him. Yes. <laughs> And thank you, Jess, as well. It's a lovely review. So yes, thank, thank you, you everyone who are leaving reviews. And please keep them coming. They're very helpful. Okay, right. And I think that's all we have time for, as yeah. I say, this week. But don't forget to follow our Facebook page. We're also on Twitter. You can also download us from Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Yes, okay. And our regular sign-off. But you can swim across it. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Okay, hello, welcome to Totar's Rankium After Dark. After Dark. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Yeah. Excuse the noise, Jamie's opening his takeaway. Yum. It's uh, several hours after we recorded Constantius. Yeah. We have, in the meantime, recorded four back-to-back episodes of Whiskey Totar's Rankium. So you can imagine our state. <laughs> yes. Um, and we've decided to settle down now with our food to a, a, what I can only assume is a... Drop my chips. Dropping the trip. Yeah, chips. Yeah, what I can only assume is a historically accurate mm. Roman drama. Starring Channing Tatum. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's called The Eagle. Mm. And uh, let's read the description here. In 2nd century Britain, a Roman soldier, 
Channing Tantum, embarks on a dangerous quest to, retort, to restore the reputation of his father in this gripping, action-packed adventure. Mm. I, I can only assume good things, so mm. let's see how it goes. The second century, we're talking Golden Age here. We might be talking Marcus Aurelius, we might be talking Trajan. We just don't know. If they um, mention an emperor, we'll, we'll yeah. tell you. Well, yeah, un- unusually, we actually have the recording equipment where we're watching, so maybe if something exciting happens, we'll, we'll chip in and uh, we're, we'll record a little section, a summary section. <laughs> if not, just listen to it and see what you think. Yeah, so uh, next time you hear us, we'll have watched some of the film. So we're what, 22 minutes in? Yeah. First major battles occurred. Yeah. So it's uh, based in a fort in Britain somewhere and they're just yeah. attacked by Celts or Britons. Yes. With long hair and bad teeth. We're in Hadrian times. Yes. Slash Antoninus Pius times. It's yeah. hard to be sure. But around that period, arguably the most peaceful period of mm. Roman history, they've decided to set their fighty film in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But be fair that was fighting yeah, so, yeah. True. Um, and they've just well young young commanders managed to establish in the south hasn't it yes by hearing some rustling yes. raising the army yeah and just happened to be everyone army. went it's just the trees sire uh, oh it wasn't the trees yes he yeah. got lucky basically he did yeah he did and now he has gone out he's led the charge himself against he has. The, the counts yeah to get retrieve some prisoners wasn't it yeah. and he got hit in the battle Fade to black, we don't know whether he's dead, but there's one hour and 40 minutes of the film left, so we're guessing he's still alive. Perhaps. I hope Channing Tatum hasn't died just yet. <laughs> oh yeah, that's his name, isn't it? Channing Tatum. <laughs> yes. Okay, right. Yeah. Next update in maybe half an hour or so. Yeah. Well, I don't know how the American Romans are getting <laughs> So, what we're now? 45 minutes then. Oh. Yeah. Jamie's just getting his kebab out. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can call it that. Um, whilst he's munching down on that, yeah, forty-five minutes in, so uh, he's um, he got injured. He he survived. Yeah, he survived, and then he's been looked after by Keith Sutherland's dad, who uh, <laughs> apparently is in the film. He saved a slave. He saved a slave. Um, yeah. And now his slave is his friend, sort of. We don't know, but I bet he will be. Yeah. And they've decided to go north of the wall mm. uh, to get back the eagle. That his daddy lost. Yeah. There's lots of people walking around going, God damn, you can't go now for the wall. Yeah. That's madness. Yeah. <clears throat> You'll die. Accents were a bit dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, no, okay. So, one hour, 23 minutes in. Yeah. Um, oh, history cat is trying to oh. eat the wires. I'm mauling my leg. Yeah. <laughs> no, stop. Stop. <laughs> there you go. She's gone. Um, yeah, we've realised that the uh, the slave that we mentioned before is actually Billy Elliot. Yes. Yes. Also in the uh, the uh, the program Turn about the American mm. Civil War. No, not Civil War. War of Independence. Yeah. So they went. They went to a tribal village. They did. Jamie Bow turned on him. Yes. That's the slave. <clears throat> but he didn't really... No, they got their uh, golden eagle back. Yeah, a little bit of luck there. The one yeah. village they stumbled across had the eagle. So it's Star Wars luck, isn't it? Yeah, a bit of Star Wars luck. And, um, yeah, they're now running. They're running to the wall. It's going to take four to five days of hard riding <laughs> to get there. You know what that's like, don't you? <clears throat> oh, yes. 
because once you yeah yeah on a horse yeah. five days yeah chafes <laughs> I bet it did. Yeah, but it's a, it's a better film than I was imagining. It's not going too badly at the moment. Thirty six percent Rotten Tomatoes. So I thought it'd be worse than that, but thirty percent. Thirty six percent. Oh, that's yeah. surprising to me. Well, only, only could go really bad. Yeah. I mean, remember how the modern version of Ben Hur went? Oh bad yes. At the end. Yeah. So maybe it goes awful at the end. But uh, so far, not bad. Yeah, do you want? Okay. See you in a bit. Okay, there you go. Film over. Yeah. Turns out they got the eagle. They managed to. Uh, well, say get back to the wall. You didn't see them get back to the no. wall. No, they got back, obviously. Some old men turned up who used mm. to be part of the Lost Legion and helped them out. Bit weird that. Yeah. Oh, he freed his slave as well. Freed his slave. Jamie Bell is free to dance again. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what? It wasn't a bad film. It wasn't at all. It's better than Gladiator. It was better than Gladiator. By far. Yeah. It, it's... It had none of the grandiose nature of Gladiator. No. It didn't need it. It was a, mm. a story about a man and his friend. Yeah. Jamie Bell. Yeah. <laughs> the accents were crazy. Oh, the accents were ridiculous. Yeah. Although there was consistency, I'll give them that. Yeah. The Romans were American. Yeah. And the Britons were British. Of course. Yeah. Including the Scottish. Scottish didn't yeah. have Scottish accents. No. No. They sort of lumped all the Britons and the Scots, all the picks together, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit weird that Jamie Bell's character, although just coming from England, seemed to know all the picts. In every language he yeah. spoke. We'll brush past that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it did quite well as a film. Yeah. The only mm. question is, does it deserve Jamie Caesar? Well, we're glad he's Jamie Caesar. Well, I fought for it, so I, yeah. think, I think you should just Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it. It was an unexpected... Yeah. I, I'm sorry, you can't put this next to Gladiator and say Gladiator's the better film. It's, it's not. It's not. Even though this is little known and we were expecting it to be rubbish, it was fine. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, say, Chanel Caesar. Yeah, I yeah. too. Not too bad. I will have to see the prequel, the Centurion. Well, yeah, you were looking on your phone and which, apparently yeah. this is a sequel. It doesn't seem like a sequel. No, because the first film called Centurion, which is about the Ninth Legion that supposedly got lost. Lost the golden. So those old men that look like Vikings at the end, mm. they're in the first film. Well, yeah, actors that play them probably. Are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, okay. Well, we'll watch that one then. Mm. Is it done by the same people? I hope so. Oh, we'll find out. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, um, until the next after dark review of a film. Goodbye. Goodbye.